Welcome to the Cancer Care Success Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Norma, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Caregiving, Caregiving for Your Loved One Living with Cancer. And, you know, this month of November is a caregiving month. It's a month that is, we probably think about caregivers a lot during the month of November. Um, and uh, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. We have over 357 participants on the call today. And you come mostly from the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban communities. And we also have international participants um, from uh, Canada, Croatia, Egypt, India, Israel, Japan, Pakistan, Singapore, Turkey, the UK, and Venezuela. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And a real credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is uh, supported by an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, Inc., and I really want to thank them for their support to this program. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, but before we begin with our speakers, we first want to ask you a few questions um, and uh, to see what you know coming into the call. Um, and for those of you who are live streaming the call, you'll be able to see the questions. And I'm going to read the question to you, and then you will then uh, um, respond to the question. The question is, I understand what research tells us about caregivers, and you can either hit yes or no. And then the second question is, I'm aware of the guidelines for social distancing while caregiving in the context of COVID-19. And again, yes or no. And then question number three is, I know creative self-care tips to manage the stress of caregiving. And again, yes or no. Okay, thank you so much for participating in these questions. It helps us to know a bit more about what you know coming into the call. And now I'm going to begin by introducing our first speaker. So we have wonderful speakers today. And our first speaker is Dr. Tamron Gray. Dr. Gray is instructor in medicine, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Gray is going to define or give us a definition of a caregiver, what the research tells us about caregiving, caregiving for an older adult and caregiving for a young adult, and talking with each other about shared expectations. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Gray. Thank you so much. And for everyone who's here today, I'm so um, delighted to be here and to take a moment to really talk to you all about such an important topic of cancer caregiving. You know, as was mentioned today, I'll be covering a number of topics, uh, but I'm really happy to go into more detail on any of these topics during our Q&A portion. So first, I will start out by describing, you know, what is a caregiver? And, you know, when we think about caregivers, 
is typically defined as individuals that assist family members or friends by providing care and support during illness. Caregivers are typically uncomp uncompensated and usually provide care in the home and outpatient settings. And caregiving in general involves a significant amount of time and energy for months or even years, especially when we think about in the context of cancer. Caregiving requires very complex tasks, uh, and some of those tasks may be physical, emotional, social, or financial, financially demanding. There could be adult children, other family members such as spouses, partners, parents, friends, and neighbors that can all uh, be caregivers. And right now, uh, we have about 53 million caregivers, and with the pandemic, this number is expected to increase, and uh, including individuals that we don't even know about. So caregivers are considered part of the entire care experience, from initial diagnosis to post-treatment and survivorship. And unpaid family caregivers provide about 90% of their care requiring long-term care. Uh, so I'll repeat that uh, just to be more, more plain. Unpaid family caregivers can provide up to 90% of care in the long-term care setting. They fulfill such an important role for patients, and they help the healthcare system by saving billions and billions of dollars annually. And as we think about a cancer diagnosis, we often think about the patient, but caregivers can have, uh, but cancer can have a major effect on caregivers as well as patients. Yet, you know, there's too little that's known about their needs, um, and oftentimes those needs are overlooked by the healthcare system. So we'll transition to the next thought. You know, sometimes when we think about caregiving, uh, or when I think about caregiving, I like to imagine it as receiving water from a fire hose. <laughs> uh, as a caregiver myself, I can, I can attest, um, you know, there's such an enormous amount of information to take in and adjustments that need to be made. And caregivers always have to learn how to adapt and be prepared for even the unknown while still hoping for the best with their loved ones. Uh, unfortunately, Many caregivers are often unprepared or underprepared for their role. And the current literature suggests that caregivers' perceived skills preparedness is associated with caregiver burden. So if patients feel that they are being trained and have the proper skills for caregiving, they're likely to have decreased burden overall. In a study of 59 caregivers, for example, um, well, this is, well, I'll kind of skip the literature um, for this one, but many, many of my colleagues, um, and cancer have really focused on this aspect of caregiver burden and quality of life. So caregiving responsibilities can vary by diagnosis and they're responsible for a wide range of tasks, as I hinted to before. Typically tasks may involve monitoring for treatment side effects, helping to manage symptom burden, facilitating treatment decision-making, administering medications and performing some technical medical tasks such as managing an IV or infusion port or changing their loved one's wounds and dressings. Especially as we think about uh, care, cancer care being delivered, more often being delivered from hospital to home and outpatient, there's going to be an increasing demand for recognizing caregivers but also supporting caregivers in their role. So there are many positive and negative aspects of caregiving. Uh, when we think about the emerging literature, it does suggest that there's derived benefits that caregivers actually receive in their role. Some examples could include um, being able to 
have acceptance with their role and acceptance of their circumstances, as well as uh, developing uh, more empathy just for individuals who who are in need of their care. There's also a component related to purpose and mission-driven um, aspects of caregiving, meaning that they really do have a new um, idea about their life and their purpose when they provide care for to a loved one. And also there's this idea of reprioritization. Uh, and along with that kind of dovetails is post-traumatic growth. And what this means is that caregivers have often reported having a positive aspect or a positive change as a result of their caregiving role. Uh, and although individuals who report positive experiences with, in their role of caregiving, there's also uh, literature that we know about the unmet substantial needs and burdens that caregivers face, such as being underprepared, struggling quietly, uh, and this may be all too relevant now as we uh, are managing the, the current pandemic. There's also adverse consequences of caring for a loved ones, such as uh, feelings of anger and depression and apathy, uh, as well as guilt. Many caregivers um, often neglect their own health as they're managing care for a loved one. So it's important for clinicians to be able to um, encourage patients and caregivers about the importance of maintaining health for the caregiver. What we do find is that caregivers often experience distress as well. For example, it's been reported in, in the literature that caregivers who are female, younger, have lower socioeconomic status, are unemployed, or cohabitate with the, with the patient, um, have more or more likely to experience distress. Other individuals who are at risk for this include those who have low social support, who have low confidence in their role. And particularly when patients are older or have more advanced disease or more physical needs, that also plays a role in terms of uh, caregiver distress. Uh, so briefly, um, I'll just really talk about the unique population of cancer caregivers. One thing that you know, I want to highlight is that Cancer caregivers are managing multiple treatment modalities. They're learning new uh, uh, new phrases and uh, kind of new medical lingo. So they're really having to learn and absorb information very quickly. Uh, they're also working with many interdisciplinary teams, from the physician to the nurses to the social workers to the chaplains. There's such a variety of individuals that they're meeting at this time. And also, caregivers learn to adapt in the different stages of illness. For example, things, caregiving may look very different at the beginning of diagnosis uh, and towards active treatment, survivorship, or end of life. Um, and there's a lot of complex decision-making that happens among cancer caregivers. So when we think about, um, you know, caregiving with the unique aspect of caregiving for a younger adult, um, I'll just start by saying that caregiving in this role is, an, is unexpected. Um, however, over the last two decades, it has become increasingly recognized that many young people take on a caregiving role for members of their family. Uh, and a lot of these caregivers don't necessarily expect to take on this role at this time in their lives. However, we know that about a little shy of 50%, 48% of U.S. caregivers are between the ages of 18 and 49 years old. Um, and, you know, and one thing when we think about caregivers is that everyone will either have been a caregiver, will uh, be cared for, or be um, or or being able to be associated with caregiving in many different ways. So caregiving just spans across different diagnoses. If 
By age 40, a third of Americans already consider themselves to be a caregiver. Uh, so the, when we look at these numbers, it warrants us to really pay attention to uh, caregivers who are slightly younger, who are stepping into this role, who are balancing the needs of their loved ones. And just for some tips for young caregivers, uh, you know, what's been found in the literature is to be able to have, you know, those caregivers to be able to have someone to uh, talk with, someone who's been in a similar situation, um, someone that they can talk openly about their feelings uh, and find respite, find breaks during this process. Uh, another important thing is being able to take care of themselves during this time because they're starting so young as a young adult, their health is going to be impacted if they don't manage it early on in their caregiving role. Uh, and as we think about uh, caregivers of individuals who are taking care of people who are uh, slightly older, you know, I think one thing that we want to keep in mind is that the needs will change, particularly as they care for those who have physical ailments. Over 46%, 46 million people in the U.S. are 65 years and older, and that number is growing drastically. Um, and it's a major driver of that is the, is the baby boomer generation who's aging by every day. By 2030, one in five adults will be 65 and older. So this warrants the increasing need of caregivers. Uh, and as the elderly population increases, a growing number of elderly patients with cancer will have a greater need for care and therefore also um, the support of their caregiver will need this, this, uh, this support. So in general, older family caregivers are largely responsible for caring for next of kin living at home, which impacts their physical and mental health. So healthcare provider, pro professionals should consider this, um, this family caregiver as a most valuable ally, but also very vulnerable to their own um, care needs as well. Um, and, you know, so I will stop there uh, and turn it over to my colleagues. But one thing I do want to mention just in summary is it's important to create an infrastructure for comprehensive caregiver surveillance. And, and it's also important to look at, to conduct research for the most vulnerable caregivers, those who are socially isolated, who, those who are older, those who are in rural areas. And then finally, incorporating risk stratification for looking at these caregivers who are at high need. So really seeing who's at risk for distress, who's at risk for burnout, who's at risk for financial toxicity. And then finally, refining models of caregiving burden so it becomes the norm. We're treating them as much as we're treating uh, the patient. Wow. So I'll stop there and I'll turn it over to my colleague. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Gray. That was incredibly comprehensive. and and really uh, set the tone for today's program. Lots of, I know there'll be lots of questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman is going to address caregiving and social distancing in the context of COVID-19, the role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team, care coordination, challenges and tips, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments to decrease your exposure to COVID-19. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you everybody for signing on today. Um, you've heard how complicated caregiving is and how many hats a caregiver can wear as um, a family member or a friend or someone helping out, someone who's in the middle of getting diagnosed and treated for cancer. Now, on top of that, think about all of the 
limitations and things that we need to do these days during the great pandemic of 2019 and 2020, as far as um, keeping um, ourselves and our loved ones and the identified patient and the staff and everybody who we come in contact with safe and free from transmission of coronavirus. So the kinds of things that you've heard about, uh, the responsibilities um, and the time together in caregiving are rather interrupted and augmented and maybe enhanced because of COVID-19. So the usual things that we hear are ever more important in someone whose resistance is low from cancer or treatment. And that would mean um, some sort of physical distancing. The term social distancing is commonly used, but you're very socially um, together or intimate. It's the physical distancing that we really need to focus on because it's the physical distance between someone's mouth and someone's nose that can transmit coronavirus. Um, so physical distancing is important. Uh, hand washing, keeping everything clean and hand washing means um, a, a good long hand wash with soap and water. Um, uh, 20 seconds seems to be the uh, the proper amount singing happy birthday in English or probably in another language. It takes about the same time. Um, twice in a row uh, would be a good way to count out the time using hand sanitizers when soap and water are not, um, are not available. Um, I've heard some uh, epidemiologists say that actual soap and water hand washing and drying with a towel is more effective than using a hot air dryer, but I, I'm not sure how well that's been proven. So all of the things that you've heard about, you now add all of these new factors on top. Um, and it becomes a, a challenge to be able to be close to someone without being physically close to someone, but it certainly can, uh, certainly can be done. Um, one of the many uh, jobs of a caregiver is to help in communication with the healthcare team. Um, when someone is sick, often we need a, um, uh, uh, an ambassador, let's say, to make sure that appointments are kept and are recorded so that we know when and where we have to be and figure out you know, how to get there. Um, some of these appointments will be electronic. We'll get to those in a minute. When medications have to be given, um, if anybody is coming to the house to provide care, when they're coming, um, if they have or have not come, it's important to keep track of all that. If uh, medications, especially, or supplies are being delivered by um, uh, a local business or uh, by one of the postal service or FedEx or UPS, I don't want to leave any company out that does deliveries, that they have come, that these packages are clean. The latest information, and that we're recording this in November, seems to be less of a role of packages and surfaces in, uh, in uh, passing COVID from one person to another, but still making sure that everything is clean. Um, keeping all track of that can be very, very difficult, and it does take management-level skills, and these are skills that often we don't think of when it comes to taking care of a loved one, but they're ever more important these days. So um, we often 
think that our electronics can be hindrances in our lives, but uh, electronics or pens and paper uh, and lists and calendars, and no matter what form, on paper or on a telephone or on a tablet or computer can be our best friends, especially reminder alarms, reminder alarms uh, to make a phone call, reminder alarms to take medication, uh, lists of people coming, packages coming, all those sorts of things. Um, I know for myself, probably at the end of the day, one of the biggest um, uh, joys that I have is going through my list and checking things off and making sure that things that needed to be done that, that day are done. That's just me. But it uh, can be very helpful when uh, the responsibilities can be complicated and complex and can uh, last over a long period of time. So I believe that uh, whether it's paper and pencil or electronics, that these are things that can help organize uh, a caregiver and a patient to making sure that things get done, things aren't missed, and that you can save some time to have a little enjoyment, whether it's reading or listening to music or watching a movie or television or reminiscing or whatever. Um, but when all these things are done in an efficient way, then there's a little time for good social interaction with physical distancing. Um, the idea of uh, going to the doctor's office, to the infusion center, to the radiation center for many appointments has changed um, over the last few months. Obviously, radiation cannot be given remotely. Not yet. We may be able to do that, but not yet. Um, some chemotherapy can be given at home. Um, some chemotherapy, of course, is in oral form even before the pandemic. Some of the targeted therapies and immunological therapies um, existed in oral forms. Uh, but by and large, um, we need to have contact with our providers. And many of the follow-up visits and many visits that don't need hands-on um, uh, physical um, physical exam information that is important to making treatment decisions are done uh, by telehealth. And that can be on a regular telephone. It may be uh, on a computer where there's video as well as audio. So uh, in addition to everything else, it's now up to the caregiver to plan for these visits. Um, and it can be slightly different than uh, people are used to. Um, each um, doctor's office or each facility may actually use a different system called a platform um, to have telehealth visits. So it's important to know exactly which uh, system you're on, making sure that if there needs to be software or a program downloaded to your computer or your phone or your tablet, that that's done in advance. Sometimes um, you need to get some information from a provider regarding confirming the time uh, and a special code to be able to get in so that that visit is confidential and private. That can sometimes be easy as just a click on a blue hyperlink uh, in an email. Sometimes it's a number to type and just typing one mistype of one digit or making one capital letter or one small letter can um, uh, will not uh, will not result in, in a good connection. So having all that planned in advance is really important. Many offices will actually um, have one of the office team call in advance um, or uh, communicate in advance and set up sort of a, a dress rehearsal just to make sure that the connection time is good. Having a quiet place 
having a place where there's good lighting, having a place where there's privacy <laughs> is really important. If a caregiver and a patient need to be on the same uh, computer at the same time, obviously, unless you have a very large computer screen or camera, being six feet apart and doing that becomes difficult. So it often means moving the screen around if the caregiver needs to be seen uh, during the interaction. But having all this prepared, having the uh, information about um, the platform of the service, um, the time, how to connect, what to expect, and having a list of questions in advance can be extremely helpful. So um, uh, we, it's not our job to overwhelm you all, but to make this as simple as possible by forewarning you and, and having to be prepared. But uh, with that note, I will turn the, uh, the call back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. And that was also very comprehensive and a lot of good information, uh, certainly about you know connecting in terms of the telemedicine appointments, um, but also the issue of you know caregiving and social distancing, a lot of important issues. So I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. So thanks, thanks so much. And our next speaker is Sharon Flynn. And Ms. Flynn is an oncology nurse. She's a nurse practitioner, nursing research and translational sciences, clinical center nursing department, National Institutes of Health, clinical research center. And Ms. Flynn will be addressing stresses on family, partners, friends, and loved ones, coping with holidays, and we certainly are approaching holidays, birthdays, and special occasions, managing family, friends, partners, and traditions in the context of COVID-19, and practical tips for managing caregivers' stress. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Oh, thank you, Dr. Messner, for the opportunity to be on today's call. And for all of our caregivers on today's call, I'd like to say thank you for taking care of your loved one with cancer. And so first I want to acknowledge that caregiving is a difficult role and certainly COVID-19 did not make things easier. So caregiver stress is due to the emotional and the physical strain of caregiving. Caregivers report much higher levels of stress than people who are not caregivers. And many caregivers are providing help or on-call almost all day and sometimes all night, so up to 24 hours a day. Sometimes this means that there is very little time for work or for other family members to care for them or to even see friends. Some caregivers may feel overwhelmed by the amount of care for um, their family member in need. And although caregiving can be challenging, it also has its rewards. It can feel good to care for that loved one. Spending time together can give new meaning to that relationship. But remember that you need to take care of yourself too um, in order to be able to care for your loved one. And so I'm going to talk about some ways to manage caregiver stress. And the first one is to ask and accept help. Um, in our American culture, I'm speaking from the state of Maryland, um, it's often um, difficult for Americans to say that we need help and accept that help. Um, but I want to put this uh, first and foremost out there that we need to not only ask but accept for help, accept help. And if you have difficulty thinking about accepting help, know that you can always pay that person back later um, when life is a little bit more settled for you. 
And so one way um, to, for asking for help is to make a list of ways that others can help you. And that way you can either assign them duties or they can choose from your list. And um, on this list, I would include maybe if you um, have some errands that you need done, maybe grocery shopping, or maybe you have a pet at home that needs walking. Um, it could be picking up dry cleaning. Uh, anything can go on that list. Yard work. Um, but have a list um, and so that you can assign these duties. Um, if someone volunteers to help um, or if you ask someone for help, say, you know, this is at the top of my list and I really need help with this particular task. Um, I would encourage you to join a group, a support group for caregivers. This can be a general caregiver support group or one um, for caregivers with um, uh, loved ones with a particular cancer um, that, you, um, that you're taking care of your loved one. You can share stories, pick up caregiving tips, um, and get support from others who face the same challenges that you do. It helps to be organized. So um, just as Dr. Fleshman said, have those, those to-do lists. Um, they can be paper and pencil or they can be electronic um, and set a daily routine for yourself. Um, it's very easy to just kind of, um, I, I say kick the can, but to put off doing some things that we don't always like doing, like paying bills or going through the insurance forms. Um, but set yourself a, a daily routine. So maybe um, you get up, have breakfast, and then you spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes going through those insurance forms and getting that taken care of. Um, again, I want to stress to take care of yourself, to stay in touch with your families and friends, um, to make sure that you are going to your checkups and your health appointments, um, and doing things that you enjoy um, throughout the day. Um, and that includes being physically active as much as possible, getting enough sleep at night, and sometimes that means calling in um, for assistance at night. If your loved one is having difficulty sleeping, it's, it's near impossible to be up all day. Actually, it is impossible to be up all day and all night. Um, so that's when you need to reach out and get some help so that you can get some sleep and that um, someone can be with your loved one during the night or maybe even for some hours during the day to help give you some respite care. Um, and again, think about what foods um, you're eating. Try and make those healthier choices and continue to drink um, your water um, throughout the day. And coping with holidays, birthdays, and special occasions as we're heading into the fall and winter holidays. Um, this is a time that we normally get together. And so it's important that we maintain those family traditions um, because they can become even more precious when someone is facing a serious illness. But even in the best of times, these events can be stressful. Um, let alone when you might be trying to juggle a new cancer diagnosis with treatment, appointments, in the context of uh, COVID-19. So I have just a couple tips for you. First, there is no right way to celebrate. Um, we've all watched um, maybe Hallmark movies or we've opened greeting cards that look like uh, Norman Rockwell um, painting of everybody smiling at a family gathering, um, but that is just an image. Um, there's no right way to celebrate. 
So now's the time to be creative and think of ways to modify that celebration or holiday to incorporate everyone. And unfortunately, with COVID-19, it may mean not all getting physically together in the same room. So think about how you can use um, uh, different video platforms or phone calls to get everybody engaged um, in the celebration. It might mean instead of having 20 people over at your house, you might have three different gatherings um, on phone calls or video calls with those people, and maybe not having anybody over to your house, um, or maybe socially distancing getting together. So think about that. Um, we have time with the winter holidays to, to start thinking about that and getting those plans into motion. Um, ask yourself what can realistically be done. Um, maybe in the past you hosted the family event and you cooked all the meals. Is this realistically something that you can tackle now? Or would it be easier um, and more realistic um, for you not to host or, or to cook maybe a side dish if you're getting together with loved ones? And respect your loved one's decision. Talk to them. Think about what, um, what they would like to do to celebrate the holiday. Um, Without their input, maybe too many activities will be overwhelming. Um, and so by talking through your feelings and their feelings, you can create lasting memories that are filled with love and compassion. And communication, um, another, another tip I can't stress enough. Um, family and friends um, may not know what your daily life looks like now, caring for your loved one with cancer. Um, so it's important that you tell them what's happening. Um, again, it can be hard to ask and receive and, um, and receive help, but it's important um, that other ones um, know that you do need help and they're there to help you. Think about all the times that you've helped family and friends um, when they've needed assistance, and now um, they want to do the same thing. They want to be there to support you. Talk to your healthcare provider about specific medical concerns that might impact your ability to celebrate. Um, and that's whether your, your loved one might be inpatient or if they're receiving treatment on the outpatient. Um, your medical team can suggest ways for your loved one to fully participate in that celebration. Um, if your holiday tradition involves fasting or eating meals at designated times, be sure that your healthcare provider knows this. It may not be safe for your loved one to fast while they're receiving treatment for cancer. Um, or sometimes for you, talk to your healthcare provider if you have diabetes or high blood pressure um, to make sure that, it's, that, it, um, that your traditions are safe to follow through. Um, your, your healthcare team is, of course, happy to work with you so that you can participate in a safe manner for the holidays. And finally, my tip is inspiration. Um, Staying positive can make a big difference. And however you um, find motivation, for me, um, it's a mantra. I can do this, I say, um, you know, to help get me through tough, tough moments. Um, other people play favorite songs um, that inspire them. They have pictures of loved ones. They have a mantra. Um, I want you to kind of fight those negative thoughts and remind yourself that you can do this. And so as we're thinking about getting together um, in the context of COVID-19, um, 
it's important that you as the caregiver are the gatekeeper for people coming in and out of your house. We want to keep not only yourself safe, but we want to keep your loved ones. And um, that may include wearing a cloth mask over your nose and your mouth. Um, it certainly means screening anybody coming into the house to make sure that they don't have any symptoms of COVID-19 or of the flu or of another illness. And so you want to ask them, um, have they had a fever or chills, cough, difficulty breathing? Have they had um, a sore throat, runny nose, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, any of these symptoms? Um, and if they do, I would invite them to come back at a later time um, because you want to make your home a sanctuary that's safe for you and for your loved one with cancer. Again, encourage people to wash their hands when they come into your house with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Um, and, if you, and if that's not available, have that hand sanitizer ready. Um, I know some of our most young um, visitors, our youngest visitors, such as small children, will need some assistance with hand washing um, and maybe um, keeping track of uh, learning to cough into their elbow and if they had a runny nose. Um, but please be that gatekeeper for your loved one. If you have questions, your hospital has guidelines as does the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, and the World Health Organization, or the WHO. And it's important to know what in your country or your state in the United States, um, what the precautions are regarding getting together with family members. Um, depending on the state or the city or the location in the world you are, there are different restrictions. So it starts with knowing what those restrictions are and then communicating those to the friends and family. And sometimes it might be hard, that might be overwhelming, gosh, to keep track of the insurance bills, to keep track of medications and what's happening with COVID-19 restrictions. So you might want to um, and look into having someone being a spokesperson for you. Um, and that person could kind of be another gatekeeper, maybe electronically keeping people informed of your loved one's health condition. I know when I had a, um, a serious accident, um, I found it helpful to have a spokesperson who communicated those daily updates to my friends and family members. And for me, that, that spokesperson wasn't my husband, it was my dear friend. Um, my husband was overwhelmed and happy to turn that over to a dear friend. So I'd encourage you to tap into your friends and family members. And then as we're looking for practical tips to managing the caregiver stress, again, think about counseling services. Everybody needs someone to talk to, and this is especially important when you're going through a stressful period in your life. Sometimes caregivers feel that they need to protect or shield their loved one from stress, anxiety, or worry, or a sense of doom. But talking to a professional counselor, such as a social worker, can help relieve some of the stress of caregiving. So give yourself permission to talk about your individual needs, questions, and concerns. Feeling emotionally fit can help you with the stress of caregiving. Again, set aside time for yourself 
and this doesn't mean going to the grocery store or picking up a prescription. Um, this means connecting with a friend or maybe reconnecting with a hobby that you've put aside since you've been caregiving. It might mean watching a movie, reading a book, something to alleviate stress and anxiety. Give, your permission, give yourself permission to laugh, to smile, and to have fun. Um, caregiving, uh, you as a caregiver are important, and I want you to give your per yourself permission to do these things. I also want to stress keeping up with your own doctor's appointment. Um, taking care of someone with cancer doesn't mean ignoring your medical needs, only to focus on your loved one. Um, make sure that you are getting your medical um, checkups and staying on track with your medication refills and your cancer screenings, such as mammographies and colonoscopies. And finally, I want to encourage you to don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, we've talked about this a couple times during this, but caregiving is exhausting and of both the body and the mind. Um, and so if we can ask for help to get a little bit of respite, that will give you so much more energy um, for this long journey that you're on. And so caregivers and any cancer patients on this call, you are not alone. There are many networks to help you through this often difficult uh, journey. Today's phone conference is just one of those many resources out there. So I want to remind you that you can do this. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, and I'll turn it back over to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Flynn. That was really outstanding and a lot of wonderful information for people uh, to have. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much um, for the really for, the, um, for all the details that you provided to everyone. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Allison Arardi, and Ms. Arardi is an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, who really specializes in areas of caregiving. Um, and her, she will be discussing with you long-distance caregiving, key strategies for self-care, and cancer care programs and services that are free for all of you to access. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Arardi. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. Um, as an oncology social worker, I provide su support services to individuals and their loved ones who are impacted by a cancer diagnosis. I also do stay abreast of changing, changing trends and new knowledge in the field in order to provide the best care possible to those who use our services. We've been talking today about the caregiver role and how to best support your loved one as they go through cancer treatment. I'd like to speak a little bit about long-distance caregiving as well as self-care today. As a caregiver, you may find yourself hours away from, their, from your loved one. Um, however, that does not mean that you can't provide meaningful support. Long-distance caregivers can help with practical concerns like setting up appointments, um, researching resources, applying for financial assistance. They can also con contact uh, local family and friends to assign tasks to help their loved one, you know, delegating tasks. And if you find yourself as a long-distance caregiver, remember to take care of yourself as well. Caregiving is not easy no matter the distance, so it's important to look for local support groups and also give yourself credit for all of the efforts that you are making. Caregivers, primary or long-distance, have the right to care for themselves. Caregivers can practice self-care by using breathing techniques like the 478 breathing, journaling, joining support groups, um, also seeking individual counseling. Caregivers can also practice self-care by getting enough sleep at night, exercising, and staying on top of their own physical health. 
Taking care of yourself allows you as a caregiver to take care of your loved one the way that you want to. Remember to listen to what your mind and body are telling you. Like they say on airplanes, you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you help anyone else. Caregiver, Cancer Care is the leading national organization dedicated to providing free professional support services, including support groups, educational workshops, publications, financial assistance, and case management to anyone affected by cancer, including all caregivers. All of our services are provided by oncology social workers, as well as world-leading cancer experts. At Cancer Care, our oncology social workers are trained in how a cancer diagnosis can impact an individual and their loved one and supports. A cancer diagnosis comes with many challenges, including financial demands, fiscal changes, social adjustments, and psychological impact in care. Our social workers are knowledgeable and can address the full scope of issues that caregivers and cancer patients may face. Cancer Care offers short-term case management services that are available nationally. A social worker will work collaboratively with you to assess you and your loved one's needs and find resources to address those needs. The goal of this service is to reduce barriers to care as greatly as possible. Your social worker can work with you to address your concerns in a way that is tailored to your individual needs. And finally, our online support group program offers the opportunity to speak with others who may be experiencing similar issues and navigating similar challenges. Additionally, it is also a space to both gather and provide support and obtain valuable information. We offer several support groups for caregivers, both over the telephone and online. A cancer diagnosis can be overwhelming. Having support and guidance as well as establishing a support network of trusted people can help relieve feelings of anxiety that may come up. Having this support can also reduce feelings of isolation and can help to increase feelings of hope and also empowerment. In addition to our short-term cancer-focused support services, we also provide additional services including educational workshops, reading material, and limited financial support. If you are interested in learning about our services, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's Hopeline at 1-800-813-4673 to speak with one of our oncology social workers. There you can discuss what led you to Cancer Care and explore with our social workers the ways in which we can offer support. Our social workers can also provide you resources to access clinical trials, other financial assistance, and potential support local to you. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to be a part of the program today. I'll now go ahead and turn our program back over to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Arardi. That was excellent, really outstanding, and a lot of wonderful information. I know there'll be questions for you as well during the Q&A. Now, before we take questions, I just have a few, before we do take your questions, I just have a few questions um, that I want to ask all of you um, um, kind of at the end of the program before we go into the Q&A. So um, for those of you who are live streaming the program, you will see the question um, in front of you. And so the first question is, as a result of this workshop, I better understand what research tells us about caregivers, and it's yes or no. And then the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I am more aware of guidelines for social distancing while caregiving in the context of COVID-19, yes or no? And 
And just the final question is, as a result of this workshop, I know more creative self-care tips to manage the stress of caregiving, yes or no. I want to thank you all for participating in this in these brief questions. And now I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board. And we're going to take as many of your questions as we can. So Norma, if you could explain to everybody how to queue up for questions, and we'll let the questions begin. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchdown telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And to have a, um, one, a question from one of our online participants, um, and this question would be for, um, to start with from Ms. Zerardi. Um, what tips can you provide for a long-distance caregiver? My father has cancer but lives in another state. Um, could you comment on that, Ms. Zerardi? Yes, um, absolutely. So, like I mentioned, you know, long-distance caregivers can absolutely provide meaningful support, even in another state. Um, so part of that can be, one, helping coordinate medical appointments, um, getting to know the medical team with phone calls. Um, you can also, you know, start writing a list of questions that you can give your loved one, so your dad in that case, um, to ask at his appointments. The other thing that is so helpful, um, and I experience a lot on our hope line, is that caregivers, even from another state, can call us and apply for financial assistance, apply for services, look for resources, and then hand that information over to their loved one who is diagnosed. Um, and then providing emotional support, too. Um, maybe that includes setting up a weekly phone call or video call um, with your loved one just to offer some emotional support for them um, because you can still provide that meaningful support even if you're not doing those day-to-day -day activities. And then, like I said, always, always, always taking care of yourself as well, seeking out support groups, too, as a long-distance caregiver. Excellent. Thank you. And... Um a question from one of our um, online uh, participants, um, and this question, um, and this would be from Ms. Flynn, how do I find out about caregiving services in my community? That's a great question. Thank you uh, for writing in. Um, I would first start with um, your treatment center. Um, talk to the social worker at the facility that your loved one is getting, um, getting treatment at. Um, I know that they they have services there. Um, you can also go online um, to Cancer Care is just one of them. And I know that today's um, online um, podcast has many resources listed there. That's another great place to go. Um, the Centers for um, Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, also has a lot of websites. Um, and they can narrow down for your state and even um, uh, if you follow the pathway to your um, local area. So those are just um, three big areas that I would start with. Thank you. And um, another question for Dr. Gray. If you could comment further, Dr. Gray, about um, caregiving for a young adult with cancer, if you could comment a bit more about that as well. Absolutely. So, you know, we'll be, and that's a great question. You know, caregiving for a young adult, um, and I think that's the question if the patient is younger. 
Um, you know, I think it is important to really think about, you know, developmentally where the patient is and being able to kind of set up your communication to be able to have the patient maintain autonomy um, if they're uh, a young adult, if they're kind of on the borderline of a teenager, young adult, being able to kind of have open and honest communication about, uh, and, you know, and just being transparent about, uh, you know, the diagnosis, the situation, and also providing an open opportunity for the, for the patient to talk about their feelings, to talk about their concerns, to talk about what's important to them. Um, and one of the things uh, in my specialty in palliative care is what we, it, you know, one of the great things about palliative care is that it helps to have open communication and conversation just all along the illness trajectory as we think about things related to symptom management and goals of care conversations because we really want to make sure that, A, the caregiver feels like they're an appropriate advocate for the loved one, but also the patient, the loved one, feels heard and seen. So I think thinking about it from a developmental standpoint is really important with having conversations with a loved one who's younger. I also think it's important to be able to um, maintain a little bit of humanity and a little bit of a, a personhood and, you know, and not let everything be about the cancer because there's other things that may be fulfilling for uh, your loved one as you're, as you're trying to support them. So thinking about hobbies, maybe old and new hobbies, or new hobbies that you have to adopt together that are uh, often safer just with the treatment um, uh, recommendations and the guidelines. But maintaining hobbies is important. Maintaining distractions is important. And keeping a, a good social support for both you as the caregiver, but also for the patient. Because if the patient's younger and they're getting treated, they may not see a lot of people who are going through a similar situation with them every day. So being able to tap into the online communities is really important. I think for both the patient and for the caregiver, just to have connection with people who have similar experiences. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, very comprehensive. Thank you. And a question for Dr. Fleischman. Um, so um, do you have any tips to help my mother who has other health problems in addition to cancer with the holidays? Um, in terms of those comorbid health problems and um, and then with the holidays coming up, you could comment on that. Sure. I, I think that really depends upon the details and what they are. Uh, the burden, let's say, of someone who's going to dialysis three times a week is different than someone who may have had a heart attack or a stroke um, a few months or years ago and not being able to cook and make the regular holiday time. So I, I think the, the importance here is in the details. And I, I guess the thing to do is just take a step back and figure out what did my relative do to celebrate the holidays before and how has the current illness stopped her or him from doing that? And now how can we get around it? <laughs> And I, I think that's the best place to start. Excellent. Very, very helpful. Um, other thoughts about that as well? Okay. And very well answered, and we hope that will help our participant here. Um, and um, another question, um, I guess, for um, and perhaps Ms. Flynn and Ms. Arardi, um asking about resources um, that would help me know what to do, what to expect as I'm taking care of my husband who's just been diagnosed with cancer. Ms. Arardi, do you want to start with that? 
Um, sure. So one I think is definitely, um, you could definitely take a look on, on Cancer Care's website. Um, depending on the diagnosis, we may have um, some informational material education that you can read up on. I would absolutely also take a look at our caregiver online support groups. We have a few that are um, diagnosis specific. For example, um, a brain tumor caregiver group. Um, so if it happens to fall in one of our diagnosis-specific groups, I would definitely, definitely recommend connecting that way. Um, but then, you know, just to find other resources, starting with, you know, just with the medical team, um, you know, having that open relationship with them, writing down questions as they come, um, you know, maybe taking taking notes during the appointments, even asking if you can record um, the appointments so that way you can have this information with you, you know, as you go home as well. Um, and then I'm, I'm happy to, to turn that over if you have any more to add. Thank you. Ms. Flynn, do you want to add anything to that, Sharon? Sure. sure. I, I thought that was great. Um, the National Cancer Institute also has mm -hmm. a booklet for um, uh, people that are newly diagnosed with cancer that I refer mm -hmm. my patients to because you're in a state of shock right now. Um, mm -hmm. And I want you to give yourself time um, to learn this new language of cancer. Um, you might be in information overload between the cancer diagnosis, maybe what some of the tests mean, and then the type of therapy that your loved one might be getting. Um, everybody on this call, we didn't learn all of this information overnight. It is over decades. And so mm -hmm. I want you to give yourself that time and permission to say, wait a minute, um, I need you to explain that. Um, maybe it needs to be re-explained two or three times. For me, mm -hmm. I, I bring a pad and a, a paper and I say, okay, draw me a picture of what's happening mm -hmm. um, regarding this diagnosis because I'm a visual learner and that helps mm -hmm. me. You know how you learn best. Mm -hmm. Um, and don't be afraid to to ask um, your team to explain something again. Um, that's okay. We we are used to questions, and we want you to to call us with questions. Um, but I would uh, start with the NCI um, newly diagnosed uh, booklet as a resource. Excellent, excellent. Oh, excellent. Uh, I have to say, our these are wonderful questions and um, and also mm -hmm. wonderful speakers to address them. So we are very fortunate to have all of you. It's a it's a it's a great combination to have these um, to have wonderful participants and wonderful speakers as well. Um, this will be our last question. I'm going to ask everyone to weigh in on it. It's a not an uncommon. Uh, situation for a caregiver to feel in or some people are in that situation um, and so um, so here's a caregiver the, the question I'm just going to try to rephrase it but the caregiver um, really tries to be strong for everyone mm -hmm. but she is just so run down herself um, and she seems mm -hmm. uncomfortable letting us be there for her so why don't we start with we'll just go right down Dr. Gray, Dr. Fleischman, Ms. Flynn so if you want to start first, um, Dr. Gray, with that one, it's kind of a, it's not an uncommon situation to run into in terms of people really wanting to, you know, feeling that they have to do it all. So if you could say something about that. Yes, you know, I think this is such an important question um, where we, you know, where it's easy to um, kind of want to be strong for 
for the loved one. You know, I think it's looking in it, looking at it from the outside in. I would say um, to to have an honest conversation with the care with that caregiver, uh, and kind of you know understanding you know how they're feeling in just between you and that caregiver, talking with them because they may be. Uh, willing to kind of talk it out with someone without the patient being right there. Um, I also think it's important to, you know, if the individual likes to journal, I think that is an an important way to kind of express how they're feeling um, and and kind of what are the barriers to them getting extra support. Uh, I think uh, one thing, too, that I, I commonly know from the literature and from clinical experiences is that and it's been mentioned before that caregivers don't like to ask for help, but being saying, you know, but being able to offer and say, I plan to run to the store. What can I pick you up? Um, instead of asking, just kind of making it like a sentence, um, saying, I'm going to help you, um, but saying it in a kinder way. But, you know, sometimes if you ask, is there anything you need to answer will be no, but kind of giving them it. I'm like, you know, I can drop off this on my way, or if they just want to listen here, or if just being present with that caregiver, with while they're with the loved one, um, may be able, may allow that caregiver to be more open to having someone help and even sit uh, with the patient so they can run out for an errand. So I think just slowly, baby steps, kind of introducing uh, yourself and your presence with the caregiver and the patient. Excellent, thank you, and Dr. Fleischman. Sure. I think all the information that was given is excellent. The only other point I would add is people who are caregivers generally have been caregivers at other points in their life. And it's sometimes the hardest to say to somebody, I need some help and call in favors. Um, But I, I would bet that people who are caregivers now have helped other people before and they can certainly say, I need your help now. Excellent. Thank you. That's a very good point. Yes. And Ms. Flynn? I I really have nothing to add. Um, our, okay. our Dr. Gray, Dr. Fleischman have answered it, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. And Mr. Arte, do you anything? Yeah, no, I, I don't have much to add except for, you know, just definitely emphasizing that sometimes um, saying, you know, I have extra, I have leftovers from dinner. I'm going to come drop that off um, mm-hmm. for you just so you don't have to worry about making dinner today. Um, you know, something like that, you know, not a question, but, you know, a polite, mm-hmm. um, you know, a sentence um, is, is helpful. And also just staying present with, with that caregiver as well, maybe even just spending some time with that caregiver, not necessarily doing anything, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, just being present, being mindful with them, um, letting them know that when they're ready to ask for that help, that that you're there. Excellent. Well, what an outstanding program. I have to say um, we do have many more questions in queue. We could go on probably for another hour, but we this is an hour program. So I want to thank our speakers, and I also want to thank our participants for asking such great questions um, so that we were able to kind of expand further on some of your concerns. And, um, and by concluding, I just want to say that um, we – uh, Ms. Arati explained many of the services that Cancer Cares provides, and they're free. And um, we're, um, we also collaborate with many other organizations, and there's a listing of all those organizations. When you get at the end of the program, you will be getting in SurveyMonkey an evaluation of the program. And in that evaluation, there will also be any 
any website, any information that we gave out during the program or think of after the program to give you, you'll get that. Um, so there are many resources for you, um, and Cancer Care is one of them. Uh, most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would really like um, to feel that none of you feel alone. Now, that's a, a, a strong statement in the sense that most people do feel alone today with social distancing and, you know, not being able to have people just drop in on you and things like that. So it's normal to feel alone. On the other hand, when you're feeling alone, please know that there are, that you're part of a very large community of support um, with all the different cancer organizations and your healthcare team, of course. I would not want to sidestep your healthcare team as well. They're a wonderful resource for you and may have resources um, for you that you might not think to ask them. We know that many of you, when you accompany someone to a medical appointment, may not think that you could ask about something that you need help with, but you can because the team isn't just the physician on the team, but it's many other members of the team whom you may not see um, until you ask that particular question. And we also recognize that people have tremendous financial need and concerns as well. Lots of resources out there for you as well. So um, as we conclude the program today, please recognize that you have uh, you can call Cancer Care at any time, and there's a whole listing of a lot of other organizations you can call. There's a lot of help out there. And with our case management program, we really can access many resources for you that we were not able to do before, which is really uh, quite amazing. So. Um, and we have a great staff of oncology social workers as well. So with that being said, I want to thank you all for your participation today. I want to wish you all a fine day. I also want to wish you all a fine holiday season with social distancing and wearing masks. That's really important, and I want you all to take very good care. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.